Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how, to, how you ought to answer each person. This is the word of the Lord. My name is Ben, and I'm the director of worship here. Um, and it's really good to see your faces this morning uh, as we um, talk through this text in Colossians 4, which, uh, if it's new to you, uh, welcome to it. Um, Colossians 4 is a beautiful passage in Scripture. Uh, I would say Colossians as a whole is just a wonderful book. It's short, condensed, but if you want to know the gospel in quick, like quickly, read through uh, the book of Colossians. It's a, it's a, a wonderful book. Um, before I sort of dive in, um, maybe I'll spend some time praying over it. Uh, if you pray with me, uh, Lord, we just pray you'd be magnified. Pray, God, today you would do a work through your word, that you would do something uh, through your words that are in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So we've been going through, uh, as a church, we've just started um, a series called uh, Gospel Intentionality, um, where we're looking at what is, what does it mean to be a church? What, what is the mission of the church, which is a big question. That's a big question that a lot of people have tried to answer. What is the mission of the church? What are we, you know, what are we doing here? I remember as a kid uh, growing up in British Columbia, my mom and dad would take me to church, and I might be a strange child, but I was one to always question that as they were taking me to church. Like, what are we, like, when we go, when we go out to eat, I know what we're doing. I know what we're getting ourselves into. Like, it's going to be great. I'm going to get food <laughs> of some kind. Um, when we go, like, I grew up playing hockey. When we go to the ice skating rink, I know what I'm getting myself into as a kid. But every time my parents took me to church, I didn't know what I was getting myself into. Like, what are we, like, what are we doing here? <laughs> you know? What, what are we, <laughs> it's, I'm seeing other people, and I'm like, Great, but mostly I'd go to church to see my friends in order. I'd go skateboarding after church, which that's what I was really excited about. But really, it comes down to until God does a work through his spirit in an individual's heart, church can be kind of, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a hard thing to t fully understand and grasp. Um, so we're, we're trying to answer those questions during this series called Gospel Intentionality. Now, if you think about that word intentionality, um, nothing really gets done unless you're intentional. I don't want to spend too much time here, but as I think about the word intentional, I know for a fact that Elizabeth would not have dated me unless there was some intentionality involved in that process. If I were to just assume that she would want to date me, nothing would happen because there's nothing about me that's really that great. I had to be intentional in the way I'd pursue her for something to happen. And in the same way, we want to be intentional in how we live our lives 
for the glory of God um, as we pursue the mission of the church. And so Fletcher last week tackled discipleship, which he did a really great job doing, disciples making disciples. And so we've learned a bit about discipleship, which is, to do, uh, which is to see the Spirit from one degree to another form us into the image of His Son. So we grow. Something we do in church is we grow together. So that was uh, talked about last week. If you want to check out that sermon on the podcast, uh, I would recommend you do that. It was a, a good sermon. Um, but this week, we're stepping into a different um, call. And the call that we're going to talk about today is the call to evangelize which is, as a church, God wants us to tell other people the good news of Jesus. He wants us to use our words. He wants us to use our personality. He, he wants us to use, he wants to use us to tell others of what's happened. And unless you're excited about what's happened, you're not going to tell people about it. So we have to understand what the gospel is. It's something that's been done. We say around here a lot, it's good news, not good advice. And that's really true of the gospel. So we're going to be tackling this idea from the book of Colossians, what it looks like to tell other people about Jesus, um, Jesus Christ. And it's, it's definitely a core a value of our church we want that to be a part of the mission of the church is to tell others the good news of Jesus. is something we actually do as a church together, I'm convinced. But to start the time, I'd like to point the spotlight um, at a text out of uh, 1 Thessalonians. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. Uh, I'm just going to look at it quick, briefly, because I think it's a really beautiful picture as to seeing the church work together in an evangelistic way. So 1 Thessalonians 2, 7 through 8 says this, but we were gentle, but we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves. Because you had been, you had become very dear to us. Because you had become very dear to us. There's a balance here that we need to take very seriously as we think through sharing the, the good news with people here in Somerville. Uh, notice here in this text I just read for us that Paul's ministry involved both in sharing his life and sharing the gospel. So we could even say to share the gospel with somebody is a willingness to share your life with that somebody. We share with others our most treasured reality. We share with others our most uh, treasured reality. Be it football or the gospel, we share with others what we treasure but the, the reality is, is the, the gospel, when treasured, it becomes the core of our identity. And I'm convinced that evangelism, it happens, um, it, it happens best in a community environment. In a community environment. Um, Tim Chester wrote a really great book called Total Church. Uh, and if you want to pick it up, I recommend it. It's a good um, book on what we're talking about in this series. Uh, but he speaks 
of evangelism as three strands, which I find helpful, which is to build a relationship, to share the gospel, but to invite that into the church community. So as a church community, we're evangelizing to people. It's not, so individual, it's not such an individualistic task as it is a community task, a task of the church. The church, um, the, uh, there's a charge to the church to evangelize to other people. And so we want to take that seriously. And we see that there in First Thessalonians, and I thought that was a good way to start our time together. But let's look at our text at hand here um, in, in Colossians 4. Colossians 4, 2 uh, through 6. And the first thing that we see here as we look at it is Paul's instruction to pray. Um, look at verse 2 and 3. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. So Paul first tells us, um, he's given us instruction about sharing the good news, and what he first tells us to do is he tells us to pray. Continue steadfastly and pray and prayer. But pray for what? What are we to pray for as we read and look at this? Um, what is Paul instructing us as far as, you know, okay, pray, and he's actually telling us what to pray for. He says that God might open up a door. That God might open up a door for the word. If you think about it, um, God has opened that door up in my heart, maybe through somebody else's prayer. Somebody has prayed for me that I might come to know Christ, and then the, the right opportunity, the right time came where that door opened, and the gospel is able to step into my heart. So prayer is a powerful thing. Prayer is a powerful tool that we need to put into play in our Christian walk with Jesus. We need to pray, church. We need to pray. And sometimes I, sometimes, I mean, I hear that we're commanded it all the time, but we're not really getting it because we're not praying. And I'm not praying enough. I, I don't pray nearly enough, especially in this way. Pray that other people might know this news. Pray that other people might know this beautiful Savior that we trust and serve. Hannah Moore, in her book, Religion of the Heart, she says, prayer is desire. It is not a conception of the mind, nor a mere effort of the intellect, nor an act of the memory. It is an elevation of the soul towards its maker, a pressing sense of our own ignorance and infirmity, a consciousness of the perfections of God, of his readiness to hear, of his power to help, of his willingness to save, of his power to help, of his willingness to save. We pray for an opportunity because he alone can provide it. We pray to God asking him to open the door of the gospel because he alone has the ability to do the work in the hearts of people. We come to God in prayer because we're saying, I can't save a person. How can I do that? How can I save somebody from themselves? No, the apostle Paul instructs us to pray because he knows that he alone has the power to do that. So we come before him asking him, do that. Do that in Somerville. Do that in my neighborhood. God, 
open up a door for me to tell somebody about this really beautiful news that you might change a heart. Because church, if, 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 it's under, if it's my ability to change someone's mind or somebody's heart, then I'm not doing this. I'm not going to try to, I'm not going to try to persuade. I mean, there is like, there's rationality in this. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying ultimately God is the one who does this in, in the heart of a person, okay? So we need to be praying. That's his instruction. Not only pray, but pray with a steadfastness. So he says to pray. What else does he say? He says to watch. If you look at verse 2, being watchful in it. I think sometimes we pray, but we don't really want, we don't really expect God to do anything because we're not really, we pray with an unbelieving heart. I do that a lot. I don't know about you. Sometimes I just pray to pray because I pray to pray because I want to tell him to pray just to pray. But you know, actually God works in prayer. Like he, he actually wants us to see something happen. Like we need to be more expectant. We need to expect God to be answering our prayers. How can we be expectant? Well, we need to be watchful. What does it mean to be watchful? I don't know. Look, look. Use your eyes and be walking in a way that is expecting God to do something. You can be watchful in it. You can watch God answer your prayers, which will embolden your faith. He's done this work in our own hearts throughout, throughout the books of Colossians. He has... He has turned dead people and he has made them alive. I'll even read a few passages for you. Colossians 1.13, he has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and he has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. That's the power of God. He does that. And as we need to be watching for opportunities for us to share that news that he's done in us in order that other people might see that. Uh, Colossians 1.21, you were once alienated. You were once hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. He is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless. He's done this work in us, church. So we need to be watching uh, that we can share what he's done with us in the life of uh, what can, he can do for other people as well. So we need to watch. But we watch, and, but there's a, a word here I think that's interesting. We need to watch, but watch for what? Watch for doors to open. Uh, we need to believe that God will do something in a heart, a door might open in order that we present the gospel. Now, what is that? What could that look like? What could it look like for a door to open as you're watching, as you're praying and watching? What could a door look like? I mean, there's a variety of ways this works, and God works in a lot of mysterious ways. Um, but just one example, uh, Jamie Smith, um, in his book, How Not to Be Secular, talks to this idea of haunted doors, which I feel like in Somerville, there's a lot of haunted doors that we can create that are open. Those doors are open for us to step in with good news. Um, despite the fact that everybody here believes that we live in an imminent frame, that there's no, no trans, nothing transcendent outside of us, there are actually a lot of very spiritual people living in Somerville. There are a lot of, what I mean by, what he means by haunted doors is and ideas of transcendence, ideas of God. They, they, want, they want God, but they don't know what that means. And so those are doors that might open up to us. One example 
is I just remember us moving into an apartment in Denver a few years ago. Um, Levi and Calvin were very impressed with her because she had a very cool uh, motorcycle. Uh, what do you call those? Like, um, it's a speed bike. But she is a, a prior tenant. She used to live in this apartment. She's coming to pick up some things. We were moving in, she was moving out. And she walked up the stairs, and at this time I was sort of praying through this same idea, actually. And she walks into our kitchen, and she had left some things in the freezer. And she looked over and she said, hey, just so you know, I want your family to be safe. Um, this, slaves used to live up here like a long time ago, and they actually still live up here. Um, they're, they, uh, they're very present. So she was referring to ghosts. Um, she believes strongly in that they were there in spirit. Um, and, but she said, now don't worry, all you have to do is sort of acknowledge that they're there. And as soon as you acknowledge they're there, they will go away. Now, like, there's one of two things you can do with something like that. And that, thing's very, that kind of idea is very well and alive around here, by the way. Um, those kinds of spiritual realities. That's what, I'm, that's what I'm talking about. But those are actually doors. Uh, I remember responding to her. And for some weird reason, quoting like Ephesians 6, which is, um, well, now I can't even quote it. <laughs> What's Ephesians 6? Like, yeah, where Paul talks about, uh, you know, it, we're not up against flesh and blood, um, but it's the rulers. Uh, it's, the, it's the dark, it's like the dark spiritual world that we're actually, that's actually, after us. And I was able to step into that conversation with Ephesians 6 and be like, you know, the stuff that you're talking about, I kind of believe in. I mean, you believe in ghosts, awesome. I believe in some guy who raised up from the dead. Like, that, you know, there's a door, there's, there's ways in which we can step into these conversations instead of just being like, oh, you, you, believe, in, you believe in ghosts, you're silly. I mean, we're kind of like, crazy too, if you think about some of the things we believe in. Like, we can step into these haunted doors with the gospel, with the good news of Jesus. And that's just an example I thought of. So we're to pray, church. We're to pray for a door to open. We're to watch. We're to be watchful for those doors to open. And in, in any way they open, they open up in all sorts of ways. We don't watch. Paul instructs us to be watchful. So as you're walking to this grocery store, as you're doing your routines. Be praying and be watching that God opens up an opportunity for you to share the good news of Jesus. The last thing he instructs us to do here is to speak. So pray, watch, and then speak. Uh, look at verses 4 through 6 with me. That I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Speak. Now, before I move, this, move through this, I want to ask us a question. What might be the be best context um, for speaking gospel truth. What might be the best context for speaking gospel truth? Um, there is, of course, 
moments where you might be sitting on the bench waiting for the train and the person starts talking to you about like breaking down to you and telling you about their life and it's an opportunity for you to share the gospel and to speak a gospel word into the person's life and that's that's good like that's a good thing that's a good opportunity for us to be doing or you may be at work and this person you've been working with for the longest time hasn't been really talking to you about anything important until you start putting some more intentional questions into the person's heart about life meaning death sin christ and those are good opportunities too but i am convinced that evangelism is best done uh, out of a context of gospel community so doing evangelism doing evangelism in isolation is okay but there's much more advantage there's a, a bigger a greater advantage to working together as a church and helping people see the beauties of christ there's an advantage if we work together in this, seeing the beauties of Christ. Uh, Leslie uh, Newbigin wrote it this way. He said, the hermeneutic or the understanding of the gospel um, is the way in which people un uh, describes, what did he say here? He describes the local church as the hermeneutic of the gospel, the way in which people understand the gospel. So when we're, for example, so changed by the love of Christ that we love one another in a community, as a community, as a church. That's, that's contagious to the outside world. That's contagious to the outside person looking in. Wow, these people really love each other. That's a contagious thing. So to, to do evangelism in the context of community, there's power in that. So build a relationship, share the gospel, but invite them into church community. Whether that be like, hey, we're having a barbecue with some church friends at our house. Like two or three are better than one. As you love each other, as you speak gospel truths over one another, uh, with an outsider, that could be a very attractive thing, an appealing thing. Um, but also be a very confusing thing where questions could be asked, but then answers can be given in more than just you and yourself. But we have each other to help each other with this, with this idea of evangelizing. But um, that was sort of a, a side note. But Paul instructs us here that we must speak. Um, what does he say in verse 4? He says, make it clear, right? That I may make it clear. Be, be clear. Be clear. Which is a clear statement. Like, be clear. When you're, when you're speaking the gospel, first of all, know what you're talking about. This is the gospel. I want you to have this clear clarity is important it's easy to be fuzzy it's easy to be confusing uh, a fuzzy statement might be like you know that god loves you well yeah so does everybody and everything that love is a, that's that's a, a love is a big concept but within the gospel we see <laughs> we see that love is demonstrated for us the love of Christ, the love of Christ demonstrates, God demonstrates, he demonstrates his love for us in Christ on the cross. Now there's a little bit of clarity to what love is as we see Jesus be love for us at the cross. So putting that in will open up a whole, a whole thing of discussion about Jesus and the gospel. So be clear, not only be clear, we need to be winsome. 
We need to be winsome. Verse 6, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. How we speak is as important as to what we speak. How does the Apostle Paul tell us to speak the gospel to people here? Well, he says, always be gracious. Proverbs 16, 21 through 24 says this, The wise of heart is called discerning, and sweetness of speech increases persuasiveness. Good sense is a fountain of life to him who has it, but the instruction of fools is folly. The heart of the wise makes his speech judicious and adds persuasiveness to his lips. Verse 24 of Proverbs 16 says, Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. So words of grace and flavor are sweet to the soul, according to the proverb. Words of grace of flavor are sweet to the soul. And this is how our speech is to be. It's to be gracious. It's not to have a spirit of condemnation. It's to have a spirit of invitation. Like let this person, like really absorb what this person is sharing with you. And almost in a way that like let the words of this person change you. Like let these words actually do a work in you as you feel the weight of their broken situation. Let that sit so you're able to be gracious in responding. How, how, could this, how could this work? I think we need to be putting ourselves in their shoes, like I had just mentioned. Uh, but I think a big part of this is understanding how the gospel can work in a variety of different ways. Uh, I've heard one person describe the gospel uh, as a diamond. And as you shine a light on a diamond, what happens? It reveals its glory in a variety of different ways, right? Like a diamond would if you were to shine a light on it. It would just go, whew, like, there's just many different ways the gospel reveals and shows us its glory. There's a lot of different ways it does that. So for example, if you're in a conversation with somebody who is bitter with the absence of a father, like let's say you're in a conversation with somebody who's bitter with the absence of a father, wounded, right? Wounded. Those are deep wounds. Wounded by matters involving his family. Where the metaphor of justification may fall flat, right? Fall flat in that scenario. The metaphor of adoption may succeed. Justification is our legal standing. Uh, it's, it's court law language. It, it's not always fitting. It's not always fitting to say, well, you know, like this person sharing their life about how their father's wounded, wounded him, and you're saying, well, you know, you can be made right. Like the law that has been credited, that Jesus' righteousness has been credited to you according to law. Well, okay, I, if I was that person, I'd be like, I don't even know what you're talking about right now. I'm sharing you with my heart, and you're talking to me in this other language. So the metaphor of justification in that particular situation would not fit. It wouldn't be fitting. That's why we need to know the gospel. We need to know how the gospel works in different ways. But what would fit? What would fit right there? Well, the metaphor of adoption would fit. 
which is the Father adopting us as sons and daughters. So this is Father-Son language. It's, it's beautiful. The, the metaphor of adoption is beautiful because we all long to be a part of a family that's perfect. So that way of speaking the gospel into that situation would be much more effective. But so in that whole thing that I was just describing, you, you do need to listen for the, the, broken, the brokenness of the situation, the brokenness of the person, and then we need to be praying and letting the Spirit do its work of leading us into speaking the right gospel metaphor, the right gospel language into that broken situation. The gospel fits snug against the broken hearts of people in every situation. The gospel will fit snug into that. And through the Spirit, as we pray, He can do a work through that. So we must be good, church, at sensing where the gospel fits into the conversation. We've got to be good at sensing where the gospel can fit into the conversation. Some may be um, seeking acceptance. Some may be seeking ex to be accepted. Well, where in the Gospels do we see that we are accepted? I think of the baptism of Jesus as, as God the Father comes over, over Jesus and says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. He says the same thing over us, church. I'm well pleased because this is my son. So people who are seeking acceptance, you could use that in the scripture. Some people are um, maybe seeking hope. They're just feeling hopeless. Well, church, do you know what 1 Peter 1 says? It says we're called to a living hope. We're called to a living hope. We, were once, we who were once far away from God have been called into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. So if you're feeling hopeless, let's go to 1 Peter and look at that. So in, in some ways, I'm actually telling you and telling myself, because we need to know our Bibles. Like, we kind of need to know the Scriptures in order to see fruit here. Some may be seeking intimacy. Some may be seeking approval. Um, the list could go on and on. We just need to be looking and we need to be speaking words of grace into the situation. And I feel like that is sort of what Paul is saying is a gracious word is a word that's caring, right? It's a word that's feeling the weight of the situation and being gracious and responding in the situation, being gentle and responding in the situation. We need to be doing that, church. So the gospel, the gospel of Jesus speaks into every broken situation. The gospel speaks into every broken situation. And our, our task is to build relationships, speak the gospel, invite them into the church community. Um, our task is to build relationships, speak the gospel, invite them into, church, into the church community. And I think, um, church, as we do that, we'll see, we'll see a lot of fruit happen. Um, also, I feel like a certain uh, awareness. Um, I feel like the, the, a huge part of this is actually praying and walking and watching and letting the Spirit do His work through us. Uh, <laughs> these are good instructions, but 
God can do these things how he wants to do these things. Uh, These are good things to be watching for and to be thinking through and learning about, but ultimately God uses what he uses to bring people to himself. So um, I, I even think when you're talking, I find myself, if I'm in a conversation with somebody, praying in that moment, like, God, help me. Like, give me words to say right now that only can come from, they could help me, God. I'm afraid. I don't, I don't want people to think that, uh, you know, I'm afraid. I'm actually somewhat ashamed of you. And help me in this conversation. Lead me in this conversation, God. And do that work. And we, we can know and trust God to do the work that he will do in those situations. So in conclusion, here's what we see. Evangelism happens as we first pray for doors to open Watch for the doors to open. Speak the gospel truth into those open doors. And preferably within a church community would be wonderful to see happen in our church. Um, so I hope, I hope this has been helpful to you. Let's pray. God, yeah, we need help in this. We, um, we want to see people in Somerville, in Boston, throughout the ends of the world, come to know you. We want to see people come to know you because we know that there's no hope apart from you. There is no satisfaction apart from you. I think that um, people, and I have found myself even drinking seas of pleasure, drinking oceans, oceans of, of worldly goods and coming up empty, coming up unsatisfied. Um, because we're made to drink from you and nobody else. And God, I want people, I want people to experience, um, I want people to experience you. We as a church want people to experience you. I pray you'd use City on Hill Somerville as a beacon of light um, for people to feel comfortable to come as we um, as we use grace in our words, as our words are seasoned with salt, I pray, God, you would use our church. I'd pray now, God, that people would come to know you. They'd come to see that they are their worst enemy, that you are a great Savior, that we can't do anything apart from you. I pray, God, that you would do that work here in Somerville for your glory. In your name, amen.